Hey, good to see everyone today. Welcome. Why don't you welcome somebody who made it this weekend to church. Hey, before I get into the message, I wanted to just first of all say to anyone who is graduating this week, maybe you're finishing high school or maybe you've just finished this past week, you finished up at, at your, your first stretch of college, congratulations as a church. We stand with you. We're proud of you. We love the fact that you are pushing through. You're crossing a finish line. And here's what we recognize. We recognize that sometimes we all know exactly what we're going to do next, you know, but others of us, graduation is exciting, but it also comes with a little bit of trepidation because we're wondering, what now, you know? So I want to just take a minute and pray for everybody who's graduating, and let's do that together before we get into the message. And so if you're a graduate, we're praying for you right now, so let's pray together. God, I do thank you for the ones who are graduating or who just graduated. Thank you, God, for giving them the strength, the stamina to be able to push through and finish and, and get across that finish line. But now, Lord, for, for some who are wondering, what do I do next? God, I pray that you would come by the power of your spirit and give that guidance that's needed. God, I pray that you would allow there to be a sense of confidence that would rise up in each one to trust in you, God, as a faithful God who is able to take us by the hand and lead us in what you have for us. So I pray, God, for that confidence to rise and for the right doors to open for whatever is meant to be next for these ones who are graduating. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, also, I wanted to say Wednesday night is going to be incredible, and it is our seek night. So whatever we would normally expect at seek night, seeking God and an encounter with the presence of God and a sense of the power of God coming, that is what it's about. But we also happen to be recording our album live. So here's what I want to ask of you. First of all, come. It's going to be exciting and fun. But especially if you're somebody who you, you have a, a good voice to sing out, you ought to really come, <laughs> right? Because it's a live worship album. We want to get everybody in the mix. But even more than that, would you pray that we would together experience God? What we're hoping with a live album is that we'd capture kind of a sense of what it's like at Centerpoint when, when we're all leaning into the presence of God and, and experiencing the fire of his goodness together. And so uh, if you're the kind of person who likes to let out a good, loud, juicy hallelujah, Wednesday night's your night. Come. Shout loud, you know? So anyway, I, I'm looking forward to it Wednesday, like Donovan said, 6.05, so that we can start at 6.30. All right, so the message this weekend. A uh, few weeks back, I was on Flipboard, you know, on the phone reading some news, and I saw this article, and, and the headline said, passenger thrown off of plane for not reading the safety instruction card. And I saw that, and I was like, wow, that's kind of harsh, you know? <laughs> I never knew it mattered that much, but apparently in Air New Zealand, it does. And, and I read the article, but the thing is, what, what happened is the article, you know, looked, this is a, a screenshot of it, and the first thing I saw was that picture, and then I read that headline. And so I have a problem. It's called an overactive imagination. <laughs> Right? And so I see a plane flying through the air, and then I read, passenger thrown off of plane for not reading the safety instruction card. All of a sudden, I see the scenario. She goes, sir, get up out of your chair right now. He gets up. She marches him over to the door of the plane, opens the door of the plane, throws him out. Shut, they will read the safety instruction card. Hashtag fierce stewardess, right? And, and I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, so, I mean, obviously, I'm the only one with the overactive imagination problem, but that's the way I saw it. And, and sometimes what we read 
It, it, it says one thing, but it might actually have a different meaning. And, and, and sometimes what we read is colored by what's already in our mind. Like, for example, for me, I looked at that picture, and so I already had something in my mind, which then affected how I interpreted what I read. And the reason I'm saying this is because I think sometimes this happens with regards to the scriptures, with regards to the Bible, that, that we read something that on the surface seems to say one thing, and we might take it that way, not realizing there's a little bit of, uh, of deeper digging that we need to do to really understand what's been communicated here. And so what I want to do for a couple of weeks, just two weeks, is I'm going to do a series, I'm calling it Say What? Because I think there's some moments in the Bible, if we're honest, that we read through the scriptures and we come upon some things and we, and we look at it and we read it and we might find ourselves going, say what? And we don't really know what to do with it. So we just maybe kind of skip over it because I, I don't know. I don't know what to do with it. Or sometimes we, we do read it and we highlight it. and We say, that's it. Mm, I, I just, that's what I read. Therefore, the Bible says it and that settles it. You know, that kind of thing. I want to I wanna take some time in this series just to address two particular kinds of say what issues that come up in the scriptures. I want to talk for one week about women in ministry, and then I want to teach on another week on praying in tongues and prophecy. These two things get a lot of comments and questions all the time, and I feel it would be helpful to bring some clarity through teaching that could give us all a sense of what's in God's word so that when we have those say what moments, we would have something deeper to, to cling to. So I, wa I want to start this way. I want to just ask you to consider the big picture of God's word for a moment. And let's just start with the Bible. And, and one verse in particular um, in, in the book of Proverbs talks about not drinking wine. And in Proverbs, it, it talks about not drinking wine. And, and then it even says in Proverbs uh, chapter 23, verse 31, it says, yeah, don't drink wine and don't even look at it. I mean, that's what it says. Proverbs 23:31 it says, "Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, and when it goes down smoothly." That sounds like it was written by somebody who knew something, by the way. <laughs> but it says, "Yeah, don't don't drink it. Don't even look at it. Don't look don't look at it." And you might read that and go, "Well, the Bible says it. That settles it." So, everybody, I'm telling you, you need to go home and you if you you got to empty those bottles in the drain right now. That is it. We could but then we might go, hey, you know, I want to read some New Testament today. And then we flip over to 1 Timothy 5.23, and it says, hey, you know what? Don't, don't just drink water. Have a little wine. <laughs> and if you just read the other one, and then you read this one, you find yourself going, say, what? Because they're, they're, they're not seemingly in agreement. What do we do with that? And, uh, and another, another scripture I love, a scripture I think is important, comes to us from Deuteronomy 6. In Deuteronomy 6.16, it says, straightforward, right down the middle, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. I mean, couldn't get more plain and simple than that. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. I like that. I like that idea. I think maybe I'll write a book about it. Call the book, Never Test God. I'm going to start a whole conference ministry called Never Test God Ministries. I got the domain already, nevertestgod.com. I'm going to put together a, a video teaching series. Me and Pastor James are going to co-teach it together, and it's going to be incredible. It's going to be amazing. And then I read Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, and it said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. 
say, what? What happened to do not put the Lord your God to the test? And now all of a sudden it's a mandate? Test me in this, says the Lord. Wow, I guess we're going to have to hold the press on that Never Test God book and conference and all that. But maybe that's just because it was a prophet. I mean, Malachi is a prophet, and you know those prophets kind of get you into trouble sometimes. So what if we, instead of reading one of the prophets, well, let's just go to some place where you can always find something dependable. I'm talking about the book of Proverbs. Like Proverbs, you can never go wrong. And so you turn to Proverbs chapter 26, verse 4, and, and this is an amazingly powerful, helpful verse. It says, do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. And I love that verse. I love that verse because then when somebody starts messing with me and they're being all foolish, I can just say, I don't have to talk to you, fool. I can get my A-team on and start saying, what you talking about, fool, and just walk away. I got the Bible on my side, Proverbs 26, verse 4. <laughs> it's in black and white right there. I'm not talking to this fool. I will not answer this fool. Except Proverbs 26, 5, the very next verse says, answer a fool according to his folly, or he'll be wise in his own eyes. What? <laughs> right? I mean, we got to recognize that sometimes in the Bible, there are say what kinds of moments, and you can't just skip past them because it's a little uncomfortable. You can't just gloss over them because well, I don't really know what to do with that. Let me just read something that's easier. You need to take some time with it, and, and what this is telling us like, just a few examples that I brought to you right now. What this is telling us is that, first of all, you cannot get your yellow highlighter out or click the yellow highlight button on your phone and, and highlight one particular verse and isolate it and build your whole theology on it. You just can't. It doesn't work that way. I just showed you. Why not? And, and another thing this is telling us is that we really need the Holy Spirit to lead us in understanding how to apply God's word and to apply it in this verse this way and in this verse another way. We need the Holy Spirit, as Jesus said, to lead us into all truth. This is also telling us that we need to grow in an appreciation for an understanding of nuance as it comes to the word of God that we need to grow in understanding and appreciating nuance in the scriptures, which means that while it might be printed in black and white, it is often more gray than we would like to admit. And, and there's nuance that we need to appreciate as we read the scriptures. I think this is also telling us that we need to do what the scripture says in 2 Timothy 2.15 where it says study to show yourself a workman approved. And what that means is I can't just read the simple thing and just simply quickly say, that's it, Bible said it, that settles it. But instead I need to study it out. I need to dig deeper beneath the surface and understand that maybe I'm going to find some things beneath the surface that challenge my assumptions. Otherwise I'm always going to be assuming, well, they just threw the passenger right out of the plane. I hope they had a parachute. You know, I, that, that's what we do with the Bible sometimes. And I think what we're seeing here is that we need to, we need to grow and have an appreciation for the nuance. We need to let the Holy Spirit lead us into understanding how to apply the Word of God. We need to dig deeper beneath the surface, and that might take some time. That might take some discipline. That might take some, some spiritual growing from each of us. And, and so what I want to talk about today is women in ministry. 
women in ministry. And uh, many of us would hear that I'm talking about women in ministry, and we'd say, oh, good, talking about women in ministry. Women in ministry, what's the big deal? I'm glad there are women in ministry. I think more of them should be in ministry, and they should preach more often. Come on. Like, that's where some of us are coming from. Others of us, here's where we're coming from. We're thinking, well, I'm glad you're talking about this, because I've been wondering, why do we have women around here being called pastors? Because isn't there a Bible verse against that? And man, well, but I like the music here, so I'll stick around, and maybe one day John will wise up. You know, I mean, this is, this is the reality. There's, there's some tension here, and I don't want to avoid it. I don't want to just dance around it. I want to just deal with it together, and I want to let you know where, where I'm coming from with the Word of God. So love the Word of God. I love how God reveals His heart in His Word. So let's just jump into the Scriptures together, and, and first, I want to take you to cha- uh, chapter 14 of uh, 1 Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Um, 1 Corinthians 14, 34, it says this. It says, it says, women should remain silent in the churches. They're not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home. It's disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Let me just go back to verse 34 again, make sure we're all on the same page, reading the Bible together. It said, women should remain silent in the churches. They're not allowed to speak. They, want to be, if they, they must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home. Women should remain silent in the churches. What, what do we do? We know when we come across something like that. Some of us read that and go, well, you know what? Uh, good. Others of us read that and go, say what? And I think we got to be able to understand it together, break it down a little bit. I mean, here's the deal. Most all of us in this room, we want to be good Christians, whatever that means. Meaning, at least in part, we want to really take God's word to heart. We really want to obey God's word. We want to do what God's word says. We don't want to be those people that go, well... I'm sure the Bible says that, but I don't really care what the Bible says. I want to just do whatever the heck I want. We don't want to be that kind of person. And and so we we want to take to heart what the Scripture says. But part of what we've got to do is make sure that we are studying to show ourselves a workman approved and and not necessarily just taking everything from the first reading of the headline. And to dive a little bit deeper into this, I should let you know a few things. And the first thing I want to let you know is that even though it's just three sentences— and two verses of scripture, this one little part of the Bible, there are seven distinct interpretations from all the angles of the church over history. There's seven different ways to interpret this little chunk of scripture. And I don't have time to get into all seven of them, but I do want you to know what I consider to be extremely important, this this particular interpretation. And it has to do with the context of the Bible. It has to do with the, the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you read through this book of the Bible, you realize it sounds like the Apostle Paul is answering a bunch of questions, and that's what he is doing. It's a letter to a church in Corinth, and they had sent a letter to him saying, we got all these questions. We want answers about all of these things. We've come to these conclusions. What do you think, Paul? And so Paul writes back, and if you read through the book of 1 Corinthians, you could probably read through the whole thing in 25 minutes. But if you did that, you could jot down a list of all of the topics 
that they had sent him questions about because he answers them directly. And sometimes it's real clear. It says something like, now, about spiritual gifts. Let's talk about that. But in some cases, there isn't a now about phrase, but it's nevertheless a response. Here's something else you should know. In the original Greek language of the Bible, there is no punctuation. There's no periods or commas or quotation marks. You have to deduce that from the context. That's just the reality of the ancient Bible. And so when you read this section, you could just read it and go, well, it says women have to stay silent in the churches. I mean, I know that kind of sucks for the ladies, but they're going to just have to shut it. I mean, that's just how it is, right? <laughs> you could. You could come to that conclusion. But let me present something to you. What's happening in this moment, th- this whole book, of 1 Corinthians, is a particular kind of rabbinical teaching. It's called a responsa. I mean, that's the category that for thousands of years, rabbis used a responsa form to convey what they needed to convey. That is, you make your questions and statements. I take your statements and questions and bring them back to you with the corrections. (laughs) And that's what's happening here. So when you get to verse 34, what's happening is Paul's saying, all right, so, so you say women have to remain silent they have to be submissions, what's in the law. But the Apostle Paul is a rabbi. I mean, a, a brilliantly trained rabbi. He knows the law of God, and he knows that there is nothing in the law that says a woman is to be silent. Nothing. Even though you would expect it even more to be in the Old Testament. It's not there. The Old Testament never, the law in the Old Testament never says a woman should be silent. And so Paul is taking them to task. He's saying, okay, so you're saying that a woman has to remain silent in the church. They have to be submission because it's in the law. But in verse 36, Paul says, what? Did the word of God emerge with you? Did the law of God originate with you? He's challenging them, calling them to task on making something up in the Word of God that wasn't there. That's actually what's happening. But you don't, you don't see that if you just read the headline and quickly come to your conclusion based on what was already in your mind. You've got to study to show yourself a workman approved, and you discover, oh, he's responding to their false claims where they say, it's in the law. And Paul's saying, no, it's not. The Word of God didn't originate with you. It's a response, it's a correction. I think it's incredibly important to see that for what it is. But even if you didn't know that, and you just read this text sort of more on its face value, you'd see what what is being said is, if the women have questions, let them ask their husbands at home. The idea is, the problem isn't that the women are opening their mouths and making sounds. The problem is it's disruptive questioning in the middle of the service. And the, the problem that's being identified and the solution that's being presented tells us what the real issue was. So I think you got to see that for what it is, and here's why. Because, think about this with me for a moment. In 1 Corinthians, the whole book is talking about order in the church, and, and it's saying, okay, women ought to pray or prophesy, and they should, that means to open their mouth and say something out loud, but they ought to do it you know, one at a time. It says that, 1 Corinthians 14. It says, and when, when women open their mouths to pray or prophesy, they, they should have a hat on or, or long hair. That's just what the Apostle Paul said. That's, that's in order. And, and so 
in the same chapter, you've got Paul saying, yes, the women should open their mouth and prophesy and pray. So how could it even stand to reason that a few sentences later, he's going to go and say, oh, but actually, I take it all back. The women ought to just be quiet. That's not what's going on. It doesn't stand to reason. And so you've, you've got to evaluate. You've got to take the time to take in the big picture. But if you zoom out even a little bit more than that, there's an even more important bigger picture. And that is that the Apostle Paul identifies in all of the things that the Holy Spirit inspired him to write, the value of women who are pastors and ministers and workers in the gospel alongside everybody else and calls them out by name. I mean, let me just share a few of them with you. There's easily a dozen or more, but you've got Romans 16.1 calling out Phoebe as the deacon of the church in Sancria. You've got Acts 18.26 calling out Priscilla as the woman who taught Apollos, who became one of the greatest evangelists in the early church, but he was taught by Priscilla. <laughs> hey. And then in Acts 16, 14, you've got Lydia being mentioned and referred to and described as basically a church planter in, in the early church in Thyatira. You've got Colossians 4:15 mentioning Nympha as the leader of the church in Laodicea. In Philippians 4.3, you've got Euodia and Syntyche and Clement being talked about as Paul's co-laborers in the gospel, as in doing the same work he's doing in the gospel. You've got 1 Corinthians 1.11 referring to Chloe as one of the ministers who's one of the leaders in the church in Corinth where this book is even coming from. So, I mean, big picture, it would not be logical at all to think Paul's going to highlight the value of these women who were doing ministry, opening their mouths, talking and speaking of Jesus, but then a a few verses over here say, yeah, but tell them to all be quiet. It just is illogical. And I think I've just shared with you why. Because it's a response that's bringing a cultural correction to an issue that these people thought they knew an answer to. That's what's happening in this moment in Scripture. And we got to deal with it. we got to take some time with it. And I think part of why I personally feel a bit of passion about this has to do with my own story, my own biography. And for me, uh, my story is, is in one chapter this. I was a student at Rutgers University out in New Jersey, and uh, I needed to find a church to go to, and I didn't have a car. I was just riding my bike everywhere, and I needed to find a church I could ride my bike to. I found this one church that was a mile away, and uh, that, that was the church I went to. And I went there the first time, and, you know, it was old school church where they had the, you know, the three hymn numbers up on the wooden thing on the wall, so you could turn to the right page in the hymn book, and hymn one, hymn two, and then hymn three, and then the hymn was over, and then we sat down, and then she got up. And her name was Claudia Callis, and she was the pastor in that church. And she stood up, and she opened up the Bible, and preached the word of God, and built me up by the preaching of the word of God, and filled up my mind and heart with the word of God. Like, it it worked, you know? And she brought the word of God in a powerful way. But then, Claudia Callis, she's also the first person in my life to ever look at me and say, you're a pastor. Claudia Callis is the one who sat with me and said, John, uh, this church needs a youth pastor and a custodian, and I want to invite you to be both for free. (laughs) She was smart, too. (laughs) Man, and I'll always be grateful for that, that this woman, who was a pastor, Claudia Callis, saw something in me and raised me up 
And I think she was doing the work of God just like Phoebe or just like Chloe or just like Priscilla, the, the way the scriptures call out. And I'm always going to be grateful that my story is marked by, by that woman doing her work in the kingdom to preach God's word and to raise up God's people, me being one of them. So we're not done with our, our say what's yet. So I want to ask you to turn to second, uh, or 1 Timothy chapter 2. So you can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And speaking of young people being raised up, Timothy was a young guy that was raised up by the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul started a church in Ephesus and then left Timothy as the leader there to be in charge and then went elsewhere and kept starting new churches. So Timothy's the leader in charge of the church there in Ephesus and then Paul wants to keep mentoring him, so writes him letters. These letters we know as the book of 1 Timothy or the book of 2 Timothy. But in real time, they are mentoring letters from Paul to a young leader in a church in a crazy city called Ephesus. Ephesus is a city that's got some things going on behind the scenes that if you didn't study to show yourself a workman approved, you wouldn't know about. But anyway, Paul writes to... Timothy, and, and this, is, um, this is the scripture I want to make sure we spend a little bit of time on today. So in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, Paul writes to Timothy, Therefore, I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold, or pearls, or expensive clothes. So here's what we're going to do right now. We're going to do a quick jewelry check, okay? So everybody look around this room. You see any gold? <laughs> you can bring it right up here to the altar. Make things right in the eyes of God. <laughs> uh, it's there. What about the hairstyles? Get your scissors out. No, no, look, look. It says, I want them to, the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. We'll just stop right there. I think that deserves a little bit of attention because to me, that is definitely one of those say what kinds of moments in Scripture. Because if you read that and you just sort of take it at face value, you say, well, you just got to shove that person out of this airplane right now. You know, you, you read that and if you haven't done any deeper digging, you don't know that there's, there's stuff going on behind the scenes that really does matter. I mentioned that that Timothy is the leader of the church in Ephesus. And what you might not know about Ephesus is that Ephesus is it's in modern-day Turkey, but at the time, Ephesus was part of the Greco-Roman Empire, and it was the headquarters of the goddess worship religion of the cult of Diana. And in that part of the world, she was called Artemis. But the cult of Diana or, Art, or Artemis is a, is a goddess worship cult where in Ephesus, that was the headquarters of it, meaning everybody in Ephesus was part of that deal. And this goddess worship cult, the goddess worship cult of 
Artemis or Diana, it was completely run by the women. The women were the only ones that did any of the teaching. The women were the only ones that had any of the authority. That was just the deal because it was goddess worship. And the whole point of it was elevate the value of women and the value of the female because of her fertility over the men. And, and so those are the people that when Paul came and started a church, started becoming Christians. And guess what they brought with them? They brought their whole mindset that they were just used to in the cult of Diana, which is it's the women who run the show, and they're the ones in charge, and they got all the authority and all the power. And God's view of how things ought to be is just different. It's much more balanced and a place for everybody. And so the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write these words to Timothy that we just read. Do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Let me just talk about a couple of things here. First of all, you ever heard the phrase, things get lost in translation? Things do get lost in translation. Like, for example, think about it like this. If I, if I was talking to a group of people who were Spanish speakers, but somebody was translating for me, and I said something like, uh, hey, stop pulling my leg. And if that person translated and, and said, you know, ¿Por qué estás tirando mis piernas? You know, if you speak Spanish, you're like, no, 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 no. That, that's not exactly right. Because what I just said in Spanish literally makes it sound like grabbing hold of my thighs and calves and yanking upon them. But anybody who speaks English knows that when I said pulling my leg, it meant quit joking, you know. But sometimes when, when things are translated, it doesn't make it quite as the way it should to the second language. We definitely have some of that going on in this part of the scriptures. Like, for example, where it says, the woman has to be quiet, or another translation, it says, silent, right? The King James says, I suffer not a woman to teach or usurp authority. She must be a silent. That word in the original Greek text is this word, hesychia. And only here is it translated silent or quiet. Everywhere else it's translated calm. Settled. Tranquil. That's a different thing. One is like no verbal communication. The other is calm. Settled. Tranquil. Sometimes things do get lost in translation. This is one of those moments. But more importantly than that to me is the verbs that are used here where it says teach and usurp authority. Because I think that's really what the scripture is driving at as the problem. And it has everything to do with usurping authority. The King James had it close when it said, I do not permit the woman to teach or usurp authority. And here's what I think you've got to understand about this word. The word that's used here for usurp authority is this word authentine. And it's only used in the whole entire Bible one time, and it's here. And everywhere else that the Bible talks about using authority there's a different word. It's the word exousia. And, and, and so i got to do a little bit deeper digging. Everywhere else it talks about authority, it uses a completely different word. Only here it uses this word. So what does this word really mean? Authentic, it means to violently or aggressively take authority in an illegitimate way. That's really what the word is about. i, I got to dig deeper beneath the surface and understand that. Because that's revealing that the real problem is the illegitimate use of authority to teach. Not just having of authority. Further, let me just get, I know it's like a little bit heady right now, but think about this. In the original language of the scriptures, these two 
concept, teaching and usurping authority, they're joined together by a conjunction, which means that it's not two separate things that are being talked about, but one thing together, usurping authority and teaching. That's the issue, because you're dealing with a group of people who are coming from a goddess worship cult where all the women had all the power, and just assuming it would be the same way in the church, and the <laughs> spirit is saying, no, okay? So let me give a real-time example. So uh, as the lead pastor of this church, maybe I'm scheduled to preach, you know, uh, one weekend, and, uh, and then it's that weekend, and I'm, I've got something God's given me, I've prepared it, and then it's worship, right? And in the worship, there's a break between the two songs, because they didn't do one of those perfect transitions, so it just got quiet between the two songs, and all of a sudden, there's a rustling from right over here somewhere, and then she stands up and says, excuse me, excuse me, walks over to the side and says, I'm bringing the lesson today. I've decided that I'm preaching today, and I'm going to bring you a secret, powerful message from Exodus chapter 20. And excuse me, get out of my way. I would say, excuse me, I don't think so. Why? Because that would be an illegitimate, violent, or aggressive kind of taking of authority to teach. That's the kind of thing that this scripture is talking about. But if, on the other hand, as the lead pastor of this church, if I'm thinking about the preaching calendar and I schedule it out, and, and I schedule next week, let's say, uh, Pastor Ann, or Pastor Season, or Pastor Christina, or Pastor Adriana, or Pastor Heather, because we do have five female pastors in this church. And if I schedule one of them to preach next week, and the worship ends, and the announcement ends, and then she gets up to preach, guess what? She has not usurped authority to teach. She has appropriately and legitimately received the delegated authority, and she's going to get up and bring in an anointed, powerful word from God that's going to build you up. That's what's going to happen. And, and I want you to know that. I want you to know that this is what we're understanding from the scriptures as the appropriate way to understand and run with what God is saying uh, through his word. Now, sometimes people read this and say, well, I guess the women could speak, but just not on Sundays. They could speak to the kids, or they could speak to the youth, or they could speak maybe on the mission outreach or something, but just not on Sundays, not at the Sunday service. And I got news for you. It's all church. It's only in the last 1,700 years that we've defined church as Sunday morning service. First couple hundred years of the church, no, whatever day of the week we could find, and, and, and in whoever's house, or on a big gathering hall, but man, wherever two or three are gathered, in the name of Jesus. He's there in his church. Yeah, so we got to deal with the, the, actual, the actual issue of the text. Here, here's something that I've learned I think is important. I, I learned this from pastor and author Greg Boyd, and it's the principle of discerning timeless teaching in the scriptures. Every time we read the Bible, we are finding either timeless teaching or cultural correctives. And we need to grow in the discipline of asking ourselves as we're reading the Bible, is what I'm reading right now a timeless teaching or a cultural corrective? This is something that we need to grow in being able to do. Um, this is important, and it's, it's something that it's real easy to do with the Old Testament. Like, for example, we do not have a pigeon-killing station out on the patio. <laughs> What are you doing? Oh, you know, just sacrificing a couple of turtle doves for my sins. Shop. <laughs> like, no, we, we don't do that. Why not? Leviticus 14.22 says that you should sacrifice two turtle doves for your sins. Well, it's real easy with the Old Testament to say, well, that's, 
that's a cultural corrective relative to the culture of the time, but, but there's a new covenant, there's a new testament. It's really easy to do that with the Old Testament, but what we're really acknowledging is, yes, that's the infallible, inerrant word of God. But no, there's a valid reason why I don't literally walk that out that way. It's easier with the Old Testament, but it's just as important to be able to do in the entire context of the Bible, including the New Testament. For example, Colossians 3.22 says, slaves, obey your earthly masters. If you want to play hardball, you want to take things literally in the scriptures, you might just come to a conclusion, well, slavery is biblical. I'm very grateful that no sane or thoughtful Christian that I know is doing that, but they're going, wait, no, no, no. That is a cultural corrective relative to that, that particular culture. That's not a timeless teaching. But here's what we do. When we find something that is a cultural corrective, we don't ignore it. We still take, to, take it to heart. We go, well, there's something there. Still, it's inspired by God. And so we say, for example, with that verse, slaves obey your earthly masters, we pull the timeless principle from it. And we understand, hey, if, if you've got a boss and you're working somewhere, do what your boss asks you to do. But it's, that's a little different than just playing hardball and saying, well, open the door of that airplane and shove that person out. You know, it's some nuance. You had to do some thinking. You had to do some digging and some understanding of a context. Ultimately, for me, this is about making sure that whoever is called in ministry is able to step up into that ministry and be commissioned and consecrated to do it. It's important that that be able to happen. And the reason why it's important is because we're living in a day where the prophet's vision is meant to be fulfilled. I'm talking about the prophet, Joel. The, the, the day of Pentecost came and 120 believers gathered in an upper room and then men and women both received the Holy Spirit and then went out into the community telling people about Jesus. Long story short. Men and women. And Peter stood up and said, I'll tell you what's happening right now. What's happening right now, and it's in Acts chapter 2, verse 16. He said, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. That is, they will open up their mouth and say those things that are true about God and that bring encouragement and edification to others from the art of God. And that prophetic vision is now. And that's why we make sure that a sister can step up when she's called to. And there's no agenda. There's no uh, trying to make something happen that shouldn't. There's a legitimate saying, God, I believe that something is on your heart. And we want to make sure that it, there can be a way this can happen that honors you. I saw Aladdin with uh, my daughter this past week, and oh, it was a good little movie, but we all probably know the story of Aladdin. I don't think I'm spoiling it for anybody right now, but in the, in the movie, um, in the story, of, you know, she, she, she recognizes the kingdom needs a new leader, and she says, Dad, I could do it. I could be the leader if only they would allow a girl to be the leader, and then the father says, such a thing cannot happen. Such a thing has not happened in our kingdom for a thousand years. Life will be better for you, princess, once you accept the tradition and understand that it is better for you to be seen and not heard. And then she sings her big song, I can't be silent. And yeah, anyway. <laughs> she sings her song and then wicked Jafar comes along and says basically the same thing. But she knows she's got it in her, but she also knows she can't just 
usurped the authority. It has to be given. And the, the beautiful moment at the end of the movie is when you know, the father recognizes she does have it. And I want to make sure she can step up into it. And she becomes the, the leader of the kingdom. And it's a, it's a powerful moment. But, but you know what? I think we need to recognize something. That God's view of things isn't necessarily our view of things. And the scriptures reveal that part of God's heart is this. Galatians 3.26. It says, in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free nor is there male and female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. That's God's view. And what we're all attempting to do is kind of get our hearts and minds around that reality in real time. And even to figure out, and what does that look like in the, in the body of Christ, in the church? And that looks like, like when there's a, a sister who's called by God that we're able to say, step up, sister, into your destiny, into your calling. Just like we would say to the brother that has that destiny and calling. This past uh, Friday night, we had a gathering for CP Youth where, where our seniors all gathered together. And, and I got to come to that gathering to bring a word of encouragement to our graduating seniors and then to pray for them as they're walking into what's next. And I was, I was struck by the fact that among all these graduating seniors going off to college to do great things and whatnot, half of them are girls. Half of them are guys. And I want to say to each one of them, do what God's called you to do. Be who God's called you to be. I want to release whatever I can into your life of the power and anointing of God for you to rise up into whatever he's got for you. And if that is in the body of Christ, then let me help you get there too, you know? And so I just wanted to share today a message with you that I hope would give you a confidence about why we have women here who are called pastor and why we have times when women are up here preaching God's word because from a biblical perspective, that is called for. So I want to pray right now that God would give us a confidence in his word and a desire to rise up into it all the more. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for your word, and I pray that you would give us a confidence in what you're saying. And Lord, I pray that you would take us in, in a journey of digging deeper when we need to, and to not always grab hold of the simplistic uh, thought, but instead to study and show ourselves workmen approved, because we're taking the time with what you've said to get to the heart of it. So God, I pray your blessing over each of us that we could live out the prophetic vision that you have, and that for all of us, we would be those sons and daughters that were dreaming dreams and receiving visions, that for all of us, we would be those young men and, and old men, young women, old women who are receiving the power of your spirit in dreams and visions and prophesying and speaking out, God, your heart and your power into this world. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Why don't you stand up? I want to just take a moment uh, as we wrap up to say I want to bless you in Jesus' name. And I do, I bless you in Jesus' name to treasure God's word and to go into the depths with God's word, to take to heart what God's heart really is and to live out the prophetic vision of being the ones who receive the spirit of God with dreams and vision and prophecy flowing into and through your life so that this world is made better by the presence 
of God coming through you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.